Welcome to EMG Transformations with Dan Stoll. Each episode will empower you to ignite your inner fire and provide methods to maximize your mental and physical performance. Today we're going to kick back with my friend, Carlos Cabrera, who is also known as CJ Papuro, to hear his story with IBD. CJ is a certified personal trainer, patient advocate, speaker, and much more. I featured on a podcast back in 2021 called Crohn's Veteran, and CJ was a co-host at the time. We've been friends ever since. I've learned that those with chronic illnesses are always there to fight and stand together during tough times. When either of us isn't feeling well, the other is there for support, and those small acts of kindness have an impact that goes far beyond words. This episode isn't the typical flow of guest episodes going forward, as we recorded back in 2022, but after listening, I didn't want to record a new episode because this is a perfect deep dive into what living with IBD is really like. You guys know I have Crohn's disease and may be familiar with what I went through, but this conversation pulls back the curtain to show what we continue to battle daily and how we stay positive and push forward despite the odds being against us. I can relate with everything CJ talks about, and that's why this really hits home for me, and why I'm so excited to share this episode and bring awareness for those with IBD and other chronic illnesses. Buckle up and get ready to spark your transformation with Nova Fusion. You know, start by sharing who you are and your story with IBD, kind of like where that started and yeah, just like kind of the journey of the ups and downs, we can stop wherever and talk a little bit more in depth, but um, yeah, just love to hear more about that. Okay. So my name is Carlos Cabrera and I go by CJ Popuro. I am 28 years old. In 2018, I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis and when I was diagnosed, I did not understand the severity of it. I didn't know what it was. I've never heard of it before. Nobody in my family has, you know, had any GI problems or have come out about any GI problems, at least to my knowledge. And I was just walking blind. The doctor said, don't eat vegetables. He gave me a pamphlet to the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation if I have any questions to ask him. And I went to that website and I felt lost because one, nobody on there looked like me also that uh, I didn't really get too much information out of there. Didn't really look, to be honest with you. I just kind of searched around here and there, but I didn't really get too in-depth. So and uh, me with just going the way I knew how to go and it just continued that route until symptoms ended up picking up. And I ended up filling a toilet bowl up with blood. And by then, I knew something was seriously wrong. So I told my parents. And around this time, I personally did not have insurance. Uh, I just got out of the military. So I was trying to get set up with the Veteran Affairs. And that whole process took about six months or so. Um, So I was just left with my parents taking me to their private insurance place 
there, I was kind of misdiagnosed with hemorrhoids or possible hemorrhoids because of heavy lifting I was doing at the time. I was I was weightlifting. So they put me on a whole wheat, high fiber diet. And if we know IBD, that's not really good for us, especially when we're flaring. We have to keep the, the fiber low. Um, so that kind of ended it, uh, me getting worse in a sense. And around this time, I was going to school. So I had the stresses of school. I had this piling up. And then I also had the diet that was also messing me up a little bit. So I ended up in the hospital, in the ER a couple of times. So by then, I was just like, I have to really hurry up and get set up with the, the VA. So I, I would fight with them because they would just send you around and around and around. And it's just like, why can't nobody just give me an answer? Just stop sending me somewhere. I like, I, I just called you. We hung up. You'll be on the phone on hold for 45 minutes. Yeah. And then I'll hang up <laughs> and then you have to start over. And then it's just that whole process is just unbearable, but I had to do it because it was for my health and I had no other means to get seen. So I finally got set up with them in 2018 in March and I get my appointment set up. I go to the class for, they tell you how to do the, the prep and how to take it, what things that you can eat on the prep and whatnot. And then they sent me home with the jug. And one week before my appointment, all my symptoms disappear completely. And I'm just like, oh, I'm cured. <laughs> just being young and naive. But then I was just like, hold on. Let me be smart about this. Let me wait a few days to see if it's actually gone. So I waited about three days. After the third day, my symptoms were still gone. And I ended up just calling the hospital and I asked for a nurse. And I asked her, hey, all my symptoms have disappeared. I have a colonoscopy coming up next week. Uh, should I get the colonoscopy? And to be honest with you, as a guy, I was just fishing for a no because the thought of, you know, having something up my butt, I was just like, we ain't doing it. <laughs> yeah. But looking back, that would have really saved a lot of a lot of heartbreak, a lot of trauma. And it kind of would have, you know. Did you like not do the colonoscopy? No, I didn't. <laughs> oh, okay. yeah. So after I heard that no, I was just like, okay, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and then I hung up. But then she said, she also said, she said, no, but we do recommend it. But I was just being hard headed. I was like, all right, no, I'm not going to do it. So not even like a month later, I'm back in the ER and I was just like, okay, now I have to get this colonoscopy now. There's no other option. So in August or not in August, in April, uh, I ended up getting the colonoscopy and I was officially diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. I managed to get through a whole school year. <laughs> just uh pushing through my symptoms didn't pick up yet uh i was just having a little bit of sense of urgency here and there but it wasn't until the summer that my symptoms fully picked up and i was having a full-blown sense of urgency i was going to the bathroom at least 10 to 15 times a day how old were you at this time like you're taking classes you just got diagnosed like you're still pretty young now i think i'm 20 24 oh, yeah my age right now 24 yes so 
I'm over here trying to navigate uh, moving around, you know, my town, my city, my area, because it's just like I have to know where all the bathrooms are, because if I get stuck in traffic, I have to peel off to the left. I have to pull off to the right. I have to go because when sense of urgency hits, it's just like your your bowels just tense up like this. Mm -hmm. And it's just like if you don't go in the next like five minutes, you're going to go on yourself and it's not going to be fun. So when I was going through college and I transferred to a four-year university after getting my uh, associates, I was in a full-blown flare. And I would park off campus and I would have to walk 30 to 45 minutes <laughs> every day to my classes. And I had classes at all hours or of the day. So I'd have it in the morning and sometimes in the afternoon and some in the evening. So I would be hitting all types of traffic. Sometimes I would have to pull off before I got to class into the supermarket just to use the bathroom. And then I'd have to sprint across, you know, uh, the street just to, uh, you know, get onto campus and then sprint from campus to my class. <laughs> but I made it work. I made it work. It was, it was doable. I remember being in class and then all of a sudden I'm, I'm getting sick. Yeah. So I ended up catching a sinus infection and bronchitis. And I remember one day specifically, uh, my symptoms were picking up and I, I was having such of urgency in class. One class I ended up going about three times and it was really embarrassing because I was out like at least 10, 15 minutes at a time. And I, I was just like, dude, am I even going to be able to sit here and get the lecture to actually be able to retain this information? It really made me debate if I was going to be able to complete this because even though I was flaring in community college, I was still able to do it. But this is a uh, much more different, uh, different environment. It was uh, material was more dense. So my focus wasn't in the studies. My focus was on myself. So unfortunately, after everything hitting at the same time, it kind of left me bed rest. I was having, I was experiencing extreme fatigue. And when that happened, I, I had to make the hard decision of dropping out of college. It was on the last day of tuition refunds. And I told myself, this is the last day. I can't even make it to class right now. I'm going to have to drop out. I ended up dropping out and I ended up going through my first intense battle with IBD. So I was fighting three different infections or two different infections. And uh, the flare, I was going to the bathroom at least 25 to 30 times a day. Didn't have the energy to do anything. My parents would bring me like food, mostly soups, because I couldn't really hold anything down or eat anything. I didn't have no appetite just because of all the pain and cramping I was going through in the bathroom on top of, you know, the the blood passing and the mucus or whatnot. I ended up dropping a lot of weight. I went from 160 to around 120. And in that span, I was bed rest for a few months. And it was hard because I didn't understand what was going on around this time. My mental health just tanked. 
I separated, I wouldn't say I separated, but I isolated myself pretty much from everybody. But it was pretty much just to recover because I didn't have the strength to, you know, do anything. So isolation was all I had. And when you're in isolation, you're and you're just in bed all day and you're just hurting. You're in a bad mindset. You're in a bad headspace all day. It's hard to, you know, be positive because you don't know what's going on. I ended up actually losing faith in God. I I would I, t- I told myself my family was very religious. I grew up in a very religious household, going to Sunday, mass on Sundays every Sunday, Sunday school on Saturday. My families would get together, read the Bible and stuff like that on Saturdays as well. So when I got to that point, when I lost faith, I told myself, I was just like, why would God do this? I was like, what did I do wrong to deserve this? Like, I wouldn't wish this on anybody. Like, And during that time, I, I did cry a lot. I was I was in tune with my emotion a lot. I was very emotional, but I didn't give up. I was just like, I'm going to just keep going. I'm going to just keep going. All I have to do is keep going. Hopefully one day it will get better. So a few months later, I started feeling better. The two infections went away. UC started to slow down a little bit. I was still in a flare, but it wasn't as intense. During that time, I wasn't able to get my medication. I was on a biologic and I would have to travel from my house to the hospital. And that's about like an hour and some change with traffic. So I couldn't make that when I was flaring really hard. Um, I don't want to say that me not taking the medication for that amount of time maybe might have messed up, uh, made it less effective. But eventually I ended up, you know, the the medication ended up failing me. I don't like saying I failed the medication, but yeah, moving on. Well, are you on meds now? Just quick question. Yes, I'm on biologics right now. Is that like Stelera or something? Because that's what I'm on, Stelera. Uh, I'm on Humera. Okay, yeah, similar. Yes. Back then I started with intravenous medications. I started with... Remicade, and then I went to Intivio. Both were fine, but when you're trying to establish your life and you're trying and you have things to do throughout the day, they're very time consuming because you have to plan. All right, I have to wake up at this time. I have to sit in traffic for this amount of time. I have to sit there get the medication for about three hours. Had to sit in traffic back for this amount of time, and then that's pretty much like half your day gone. Yeah. So when it came to it, after I was done with that medication, I had to move on to the next one. I ended up picking an injection. Mm-hmm. So I want to go backwards a little bit. So 2019, after I started to recuperate, I started to get back in the gym. And this was around November time frame. I took it slow. I was weightlifting a little bit. I started to eat a little bit more, started to be more conscious about the foods I'm putting in my body. Like, okay, I know that milk hurts me. I can't have milk no more. I can't have dairy. I know that, you know, spicy foods hurt me. I can't do spicy no more. Just be more conscious about the choices. It kind of helped me, you know, reduce the amount I was going to the bathroom. So while I was on my gym healthy grind, I was out of school. 
but I ended up coming out in 2018. I ended up telling everybody after me being um, isolated for so long. Because when you're isolated for so long, people start to wonder this and that. But I just wanted to clear the air. I was like, hey, everybody. I, I posted on all my social medias, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, just coming come clean. Like, hey, guys, I've been pretty much in bed rest these few months. I have ulcerative colitis. I explained what it was. I wasn't asking for sympathy or, or pity. I was, you know, wanted to tell everybody this is what I'm going through. Um, wanted to educate the people around me for it because I didn't know of it. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of people around me didn't know of it either. So I wanted to make it a mission myself to educate myself and those around me by raising awareness on it and, you know, educational stuff. So I started posting on social media with the hashtags, mm-hmm. ulcerative colitis, IBD, inflammatory bowel disease. Um, as well, I was in support groups on Facebook, inflammatory bowel disease, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease. And before I was even ready to come out myself, and talk about my own illness and everything. I was in those support groups. I didn't speak or anything. I was just in the background watching everybody. And I would tell myself, I was like, dang, everybody's speaking so freely about it. it like, it must feel so good because at the time, I was I was still in that point of my journey of resentment. You know, I was like, why is this going on? This, this, and that. I was, I was still angry. But... After I got in the group and I got past the anger and I was just like, all right, this is just something that I'm going to have to deal with, you know, it's, it's just something I'm going to have to make a plan to just go around it and just continue my life. Cause if I let it, it can consume you, but don't let it. Um, a lot of those posts are very motivational. I remember there being this one guy, this fitness guy. He would post videos of him deadlifting. He would post videos of him eating meat. You know? And at that time, I stopped eating meat because it was too rough. And I was like, if I heal my gut enough, yeah. I can still do all of this stuff. It's just like right now, you know, I might have to put it to the side, be a little disciplined for a little bit so that I can get the big reward later. So I was just like, all right, let's be disciplined. I started cutting a lot of stuff from my diet pretty much starting bland (laughs) and I went bland for I want to say a couple years it was rough though the last thing that I did not want to give up which is pretty dumb but it's because it gives things flavor was sugar but as we know sugar is inflammatory (laughs) sugar is really bad for us but around that time I was a baker I like to I like to bake things. I like to cook things. So I would add sugar in it. So I had to find different alternatives. That's when my alternative journey started. But eventually through advocating, I was found by a, a man named Jordan McConnell. He's on the Crohn's Veteran Podcast. And he asked me for an interview. I agreed. He said he found me through the hashtags. Uh, when I first saw him, I saw his profile. I was just like, I was like, hold on. I have to follow this guy. (laughs) I saw that he was a black male. I saw he had Crohn's disease and I saw he was a veteran. 
and I felt that instant connection. I was just like, man, that's me. <laughs> After talking and speaking with them, I felt like, you know, our journeys, even though they were different, they were kind of similar because we, we did have some similar experiences. I asked him if he needed any help and if he would have me, I'd be down to, you know, help him with interviews and be, be a co-host on his podcast. He hits me up a couple of weeks later and he agrees. So we start doing Crohn's Veteran Podcast together. Um, eventually we start looking for a third person and I end up finding Miss Renika Wood. Great person, beautiful addictions therapist. And we end up doing the podcast together for about two, three seasons. We interview a whole bunch of different IBDers and I kid you not, while I'm doing this podcast, I myself am going through my own journey, just fighting my own demons, but I didn't lose faith because all those journeys that I would hear, I hear of everybody going through the ringer. Like they just go through the complete worst and then they bounce back and they're thriving. And I'm just like, okay. How do I don't get to the worst part? How can I avoid that? Because <laughs> I just thought about it. I was like, okay, so there's a trend here. From every every IBD, something is causing them to not get seen quick enough. And sometimes they have to they have no other option but to get the surgery, right? A lot of IBDers, especially people of color, they're caught really late. So they have no other choice but to get the the surgery or they don't they're not provided the resources or knowledge of other things that they can do to help their gut out. I know there was a story where the person's doctor just went straight to surgery instead of, you know, hey, there's biologists, you can take this and that. The person was like, no, nah, we're going to have to cut it out. And I was just like, dang, that's that's cruel. But. At the end of the day, they have the doctors are the ones who make the choice, you know. That's why I advocate for educating ourselves. It's hard when you're newly diagnosed, but if you find a community of people with chronic illness, the same chronic illness you have, there are advocates there. There are advocates there who are fighting day and night, who will even do it, you know, pro bono i don't think they charge people but you know ibders and people who have chronic illnesses we fight for each other we fight for us because we all fight the same battle with the you know with healthcare, with insurance and whatnot so we have to look after each other so after being on the podcast and i'd say around 2021 the podcast is starting to slow down a little bit we start to go on a hiatus um, around this time, I'm coming out of my own journey as well. I'm doing pretty good in my fitness journey. My diet's looking pretty good. The only thing is that I'm not seeing any improvement in my IBD. So even though I feel like I'm doing everything right, I'm trying to get the sleep. I'm trying to keep the stress down. I'm trying to watch what I eat. I'm doing the exercises. I wasn't seeing changes. For me, it wasn't until I had a tough a tough period. My health was starting to decline again. 
I ended up in 2021, I ended up getting sick, catching a cold in March. And that cold made my medication stop working. Mm -hmm. So around this time, I was off medication. I started to experience new pains. The year prior to that, I had a hand injury, uh, my right hand. I had a contusion in my hand. The hospital did nothing. They pretty much sent me home, told me to ice it, and in a couple weeks, it will be okay. It was not okay. They should have put a splint. They, they should have put something to keep it nice and good, but uh, developed. I had bone erosion in my wrist. I think they found rheumatoid arthritis through that. And then shortly after that, I was diagnosed with osteoarthritis in my back mm. because one day I started having back pain and it was constant. And I was just like, this is not normal. And I tried to put two and two together. I was like, all right, I haven't really been lifting like that. So I can't really be the lifting. So I, I always give myself a three day rule. If something is hurting for three days or something is up, something's wrong or out of place for like three days. And I'm like, okay, this is not normal. I'll give it three days. And at the end of the three days, if it's still like that, I go get a check. So I told the doctor about it. I'm like, hey, I'm having this constant pain. It's been about three days. I need to get seen. They ordered x-rays and they saw that I had osteoarthritis, mild joint space narrowing in three spots in my back. Um, that was a very difficult time for me, especially leading up to that diagnosis, because um, before that, before getting the diagnosis of RA, I was still freaking out in my head. And you know that thing that they say, don't Google your symptoms? You know. <laughs> <laughs> I am the prime example of do not Google your symptoms because I did that. And when I got the first time I got my hand checked, they took like an imaging scan, right? And they said that there was this one off scan, this one off picture that showed possible complex regional pain syndrome. And that's like a pain disease, a chronic pain disease that can go into remission. And then when it comes back, it's almost as severe or maybe even more as the original injury. Oh, jeez. So... When I saw that on the on Google, I freaked out. I'm not going to lie. I was like, bro, are you kidding me? What if it's in remission right now? That's what I thought to myself. I was like, yo, there's no way. Because that was one of the worst pains that I ever experienced when I uh, had that hand contusion. So this kind of did a lot to my mental because I was still, still kind of trying to build it up. But things were knocking me backwards in terms of my health. So... My me being right-handed, me not being able to use my right hand for months, kind of, you know, left me depressed. I went through a lot of episodes with chronic depression. It was rough. It was rough. I'm not going to lie. A lot of isolation, a lot of being with myself, trying to understand those emotions, trying to understand why I'm feeling like that. Fast forward after getting that diagnosis of osteoarthritis, I remember I got into remission that year, like prior to that. I got into remission with my UC. The only I feel like around that time, 
I was going through the worst time of my life. Mm -hmm. One, I'm going through a breakup. Two, my on Mother's Day, I was in the ER with my mother, and they were saying she possibly had myocolitis. Wow. Yes. Three, I just failed the medication, and I was fighting with these doctors trying to get a new one, and I just didn't feel like they were listening to me. So I was just going crazy, and I was just like, bro, I got to move. I got to get out of here. I got to find a new hospital. I'm in Virginia. I was thinking about going, moving to Maryland so that I can go to, you know, John Hopkins. Right. And I was just like, I was just going crazy because I was like, I didn't know what to do because like these doctors aren't listening to me. You know, they're not trying to help me out, this, this and that. But I stayed calm. I told myself, calm, calm down. You're not going to get anything done like this. I remember one day. It's kind of tough when you're when you're when you when you deal with chronic depression because sometimes when you're in that down down space for so long you start to get like thoughts they're kind of like messed up thoughts like in, in, in intrusive thoughts mm-hmm. um the, I I started getting thoughts of not be, wanting to be here just because I could not see a future without my chronic illnesses you know, and I couldn't live like that because my illnesses wasn't going to let me live outside of my house. I wouldn't be able to work because my back and my hand, I wouldn't be able to raise children because I couldn't even support myself. How am I going to support a family? I can't even work right now. So I, I was just like, even though I've never done anything, those thoughts weren't stopping. So I remember one day, I went to go shooting with one of my good friends. We went to a range. And that day I was kind of tearing up because I was just like, dang, I'm going to have to tell him because he's going to see, you know, I'm not I'm physically good. He's going to see it because the last time he saw me, I was probably like 10 pounds heavier and whatnot. I lost some weight, you know, because the UC kind of taking me back down and then the other chronic illnesses not allowing me to have that appetite again to eat and stuff like that. So... I already knew I physically was not going to look well and that I was already going to have to talk about what I was going through. So I kind of prepared myself for that, went shooting, had a time, talked to him about it. And then I was feeling good. I was like, dang, you know, I got things off my chest. I feel good. You know, he kind of gave me some reassurance, you know, hey, bro, you know, you got my support, whatever you need, this and that. I was like, you know what? Keep, I just got to keep it moving one day at a time. So as I'm going home, I'm driving, and then I start that that those thoughts kind of start to come back again. I'm just like, dang, man, I was just having a good time. And then out of nowhere, I just look to the left, right? And I just see this big mural, right, of Jesus Christ. And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> I start laughing, but then under it, under it, it says, Death is your choice. Oh. And then and then I was just like, damn and i thought about it i was like if that's not my that's not my signal if that's not my you know my thing i just started laughing because i was just like all right guy that's me bro (laughs) you sent me my sign i'm gonna take it so i was just like that is my choice i'm not gonna do it so just go through it bro like go through your problems like you're not gonna do it just you know man up and go through your shit so when i got home that day i ended up 
I use cannabis, so I ended up smoking, eating, and then going to sleep. And then when I woke up, it was around 12 o'clock in the morning, and I ended up staying up. I ended up, around that time, I'm weird because with, uh, in my flare days, I would always wake up in the middle of the night. So I would stay up smoking back to sleep. So from like around like 12, sometimes it would even take up to like five o'clock in the morning because I'm constantly going throughout throughout the throughout the night. So I would stay up researching, doing research on how to get into remission, yeah. different different methods, the whole science to it. I remember I would be in the shower. I have YouTube videos of people talking about what they did to get in remission. <laughs> like I was putting the piece together. But that night, I remember I was listening to this podcast and they were talking about functional medicine and using food as medicine to heal your gut. Yep. And there's this one guy on YouTube that I would watch and he had, I think, ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease. And it's Mr. Heal Your Gut Guy. Okay. You know him? No, but I'm gonna I'm gonna find him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. But yeah, he would always talk about, you know, what he would eat and this, this and that. So I noticed that one big thing that everybody would talk about is kefir. Something fermented, right? And I was just like, okay, I can't really do kefir because it's milk. It will mess me up, even though it's healthy milk. It'll mess me up right now because my stomach's too sensitive for that. So yeah. then I was just like, what have I been doing all 2019? Finding alternatives. <laughs> yeah. Finding an alternative to kefir was the key for me. So <laughs> I already had the diet in route. I already had the exercise. So I told myself, all right, CJ, this is your list. This is how we're going to get into remission. Step one, rest. Rest your gut. Rest your body. One, get your sleep in check. Two, start fasting. So I started fasting. If you want to be extreme, <laughs> if you want to be extreme, and I don't recommend this, I'd only eat from 12 p.m. to, I would say, 6 or 8, one of those. Yeah. Yeah. But then I was like, no, nah, that's too much, bro. That's I started getting hungrier and you know, my body started demanding more because I was working out and stuff. So yeah. I, I told myself, I was like, I'm not gonna torture myself because I did that before and I was miserable. I was like, let's do this right. Let's do let's not, you know, starve ourselves, let's not kill ourselves, let's not do anything that's gonna not wanna make us do it. So let's let's make it more friendly. Let's do it. I'll start eating if I want to, I'll start eating at eight. Or I can start eating at 10 a.m. And then I'll stop eating at 8 p.m. But one thing that was mandatory was avoid all triggers. So no no dairy, no gluten, avoid sugar, things with food coloring, maltodextrin, all yep. the above. <laughs> so I was really hard on my diet, too. I cooked all my food just to make sure that I was not putting anything that I knew was foreign. So I knew everything I was putting in my body. Three, kefir, the alternative kefir. So I found a dairy-free kefir that is made from cashew milk. It's from a company called Forger. Yep. <laughs> yes. 
Okay, so I would use their unsweetened one. You don't want to get the ones with sugar because that sugar just kind of defeats the purpose. and You're not going to get the same effect as you got the unsweetened one. Yeah. Uh, it does not taste good. <laughs> what I did, I found this website. I don't want to say it was not Instacart, but I forgot the name of it. They ship like items in bulk. So what I did, I bought like eight to ten bottles <laughs> yeah. of kefir and I put it in my fridge. <laughs> and literally every day I drank around 12 ounces and wow. I would mix it with, with fruits. I added blueberries, antioxidants, I added bananas, I added papaya. Papaya is great. Papaya yeah. is great. I will preach on this and it's great for digesting. And that was like my super shake. <laughs> I took that every day. No lie. When I first started it, it was a little bit weird because when you think about it, kefir is like you're putting good bacteria to your gut. You know what I'm saying? So when I was like drinking it, I'd subconsciously be like, oh my God, I feel it. <laughs> like I could feel like the bacteria in my stomach. But no, nah, this is th that was good though because... Is pretty much restoring your body and balancing it out with good bacteria and taking out the bad bacteria and whatnot. And I could feel the change like from like day one. But by literally by like a week, two weeks, like I was I was I was going good. Like my stools were starting to actually form and I'd wanna say maybe like a month. Month almost two months later I'm in remission. Wow. And you think it's because of that kefir cocktail that you made? Yes and no. It's 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 a combination of everything. Yeah. The sleep, getting my sleep down. I was legit. I made it a mission. That was the first thing I was going to do. Get my sleep cycle down, going to sleep at like 9, 10 every day, and then getting at least 7 to 8 hours of sleep. Uninterrupted sleep. And that was really hard for me, especially coming off of prednisone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But we got it, though. We got to sleep, keeping the stress down, of course, exercising at least 45 minutes a day, keeping your heart rate up and your mental health. Yeah. That was that's the biggest one. Your mental health has to be checked. And then last one, I'd say faith, believing Believing that it's going to work, believing in a plan. You don't have to, you know, believe in God or anything, but believe in a higher power, believe that something is going to get you through that and that you're going to make it. Yeah. And when you're clicking on all those cylinders, you're going to get into remission. And eventually that's that's what happened to me. Yeah. And the faith is so important too, because we can feel like we're going to be stuck in this position forever, especially when we're in those down days where it's like, oh, nothing can get worse. And then another thing just stacks on top of it. It's just so hard sometimes. But um, yes. I think it's really interesting what you're saying on the kefir, because that's something that I've been really looking into and asking my doctors about too, like just about the whole, there's so many, there's not a lot of studies, but there's enough studies out there that shows that it's pretty promising with your gut, with Crohn's and everything. It's a gut imbalance. And this helps kind of fix that. But every doctor that I've talked to, they say that there's not enough evidence. It's just a waste of money and to not even try it. 
And there is evidence. <laughs> yeah, I know. But like, I don't know. Like, have you had that experience with your doctors, like with those types of conversations and probiotics? I, I, I'll tell you this, Dan. The thing with me, I lost faith in my doctor yeah. <laughs> at one point in my journey. But that lost faith pushed me to do the research and everything I needed to do to push myself into remission. Because at this time, I wasn't on drugs. I was still in the in the loop of getting my drugs. I didn't get my drugs until like two months after I was in remission already. Everybody's different, you know? <laughs> I honestly feel like some doctors do care. Some doctors aren't really educated enough to, you know, give you that information. And, you know, some doctors don't care. <laughs> some doctors just do their job, you yeah. know? In my experience uh, with my doctor, he's a good doctor. I'll give him that. He's a good doctor. He's he was always there to hear me out, to listen, to hear me. Excuse my language. Rant, <laughs> rant to him about you know other things, and he looked out. Oh, I'll say this: I, I'm a spicy patient. When things, <laughs> yeah, when things don't go my way, I get upset. <laughs> and he's he's handled a lot of my uh, a lot of my complaints, but um, I remember literally the first day I asked him. I was like. Hey, does diet have anything to do with it? He's like, not really. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, isn't it like like thinking back now, it's like, bro, it's an inflammatory bowel disease. Of course it does. You know, what we put in our mouth, you know, and we digest, you know, it has yeah, to go through the digestive system. Exactly. Yeah. So from the start, that's I guess that's really why I didn't take it as seriously. Maybe if he would have been like, hey. Cause he did, he was like, "All right, you you are gonna want to avoid these foods, this, this, and that." But he didn't make it like seem as like, "No, bro, you really are not gonna want to touch these foods. Like, don't yeah. do it." Like, if I maybe would have had that push, but he didn't really make it seem like it was important, especially after saying that diet doesn't have anything to do with IBD, when essentially it really does. Yeah, honestly, the two biggest things that affect me and my condition, like bringing on a flare or just multiple bad days. It's my diet and my stress. Those are the two things. I have to keep those in order, in control, you know, good headspace, like with stress management, good routines. I plan everything out, like I old school, write everything down, like just to have that mental peace and I know what I'm doing and something's not going to get thrown at me last minute and it stresses me out or whatever. Those are the two biggest things for me. What about, would you say those two things as well? Or is there something else that really brings things on for you? I'd say those two things as well. Especially, they're, I, I kind of say they're both interchangeable, to be honest with you, because I have had episodes where I ate something, I'm in the bathroom <laughs> for the next 45 minutes, or something really, really stressful happens, and I'm in the bathroom flaring with extreme pain. I've been on both sides of the spectrum. Um, but honestly, when you are in a good headspace and you are, you know, eating good foods that are actually nutritious for you, not, you know, empty carbs and whatnot, you start to feel better. You really do. Yeah. And another thing with me is, um, cause I, I, I like you, I do everything that I can. I'm conscious with my eating and what I'm putting into my body. And you know, sometimes we feel like we can do everything right. We're on our diets, we're exercising, we're doing the best we can with sleep. You know, that's 
it's a hit or miss sometimes, but um, yes. the stress when things are just going and it's like a bad type of stress, I can like literally feel that in my gut. And another thing that's interesting that I learned in college is good stress kind of affects me the same way. And it's something that I never really thought about because it was actually when I was moving into college the first time. That's something I was looking forward to for like my entire life, really to like get out on my own. But MSU was also my dream school growing up. And it was like a dream that faded away as I got bad grades in high school. and It just seemed like unattainable. But through community college, I was able to get my grades up there and transfer. But going back to like just that whole move in, that was something I was super excited for. And it was stressful to move all my things in the apartment and all that. I actually, that day, this was the first time it ever happened. I ended up filling the toilet with blood, like you said earlier. I didn't really say anything at first because I was just so much was going on. It's like I'm moving right now, whatever. And so two hours later, it happened again. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, this is this is probably a problem. Like I shouldn't be doing this. We ended up like moving and everything. And it started at like 9 a.m. and it continued on until like 9 p.m. So every hour I was just going and evacuating a lot of blood and it was just concerning. So I ended up going to the ER and all that. They said it was a pouchitis flare. Mm -hmm. And you know, I that's the first time, first and only time I've ever had that. And they were just saying like a lot of inflammation, maybe stress and all that. And I was like, okay, well, if that's what was causing it, that does make sense because of all the stress that I was under. It wasn't a bad stress. It was a good stress. I was excited and everything, but it affects the body the same way. And that's something that I've learned. And throughout my college experience, it's something that I've had to monitor, especially this year as I was graduating. I was like, I don't want to repeat my move in with my move out. And that was just something always on my mind. So I guess, have you ever had those experiences too, like good stress where it affects you? Good stress. Yeah, because it's something I <laughs> thought about until I had that experience. I'm like, our body doesn't really know the difference, but the emotions that we feel are the same emotions body-wise, but the way that we interpret them mentally are kind of different. Mm, yes. I think, um, I wouldn't say I had like an intense flare-up or something maybe a little bit of stomach discomfort for me whenever I would get some good stress. Let's say I remember when I was in an event, I, I think it was equity for IBD and I'm over here, I'm in a line and they're interviewing people and interviewing is something that I'm used to, but it's still a little stressful to me because I'm shy. And <laughs> even though I do it often, my stomach still sees that as like, sees, feels the anxiousness of, of me. So when my gut's anxious, it kind of, you know, comes alive a little bit, but I try to settle the nerves because, you know, it's just something that I got to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm actually the same way. Like, I feel like my body is almost stuck in that flight or flight. My sympathetic nervous system all the time is like cold and then hot and I get like chill sweats and stuff. Uh, is that something that you've experienced just going through like all of the trauma? Because 
I've learned recently that those really can like stay and sink into different parts of your body, like your organs, even we have to like kind of release those traumas and with good headspace, um, emotional training and stuff like that, meditations. That's something that I've really, I've been learning a lot more recently and trying to fix these root problems and not just trying to cover up the symptoms, you know? Yes. In 2000, I'd say 20, 2021, 2020. 20. One of those years. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah. went I went through a big, uh, 2021, I went through a big mental health journey. I have, I was recommended this book called The Life Book. If you can see there, The Life Book by Kayla Kaba. It's pretty much a mental health book in the sense has calendars, has blank pages, things to help you organize. Um, when I was getting organized or trying to get my life organized again and trying to be more mindful of my mental health, I was using this book. This book allowed me to write down everything I had to do on the calendars. Like, let's say Monday, I had to do this. Tuesday, I had to do that. It also had meal prep things, like things I'm going to eat. It had time blocking milestones that you did <laughs> it had uh, exercises as well like 10 things i like about me like things to you know turn that ne negative mindset around or that negative voice around in your head because one thing i learned while going through this journey is that you cannot talk to yourself negative you have to cut that voice off you have to cut off all negativity if you want to you know be positive and be in the light one thing about me is back in the day, I was super, super negative. <laughs> I always expected and assumed the worst. So I would always, you know, have that mindset like, oh, it's going to happen anyway. So I don't even care. I would talk myself down. I'd be like, oh, you're dumb, this, this, and that. When I will fail, like I would kind of set myself up in a sense. But I learned that I am not my thoughts. You know, there's one thing that I would, when I meditate, I would say, I am not my thoughts, I'm not my mind, I am not my body. One, because my body was trying to kill me, and two, because my mind was trying to drive me crazy. So I had to set my, separate myself from both of them. And it's, and it's hard, but that's something you can do in meditation. You sit there in calmness and stillness and observe your thoughts. Some thoughts, you know, may be positive. Some thoughts may be negative. But you ultimately choose what you set your focus on and or you can generate new thoughts. Or um, I know one, one technique that I like to use is called stop. When like a negative thought or something will pop in my head, I'll just be like, stop. Or, you know, more more invasive, you know, I'll just be like, shut up in right. my head. Just like, shut up. And if it comes to it and that voice is too loud, I tell myself that I have, you know, I ultimately have the power in my mind. I rule my mind. You don't tell me what to do. So in my mind, I create a fictional scenario where I'm just like, shut up. And if that voice doesn't shut up, I shoot it in the face and then that's it. And then we just move on to another thought. And that's how I kind of like, you know, get over those thoughts that, you know, are hard to get over. It's just like, yo, shut up. Just move on. Keep busy. Do something. So in this mental health journey, I focused a lot on 
keeping a positive mindset. If I had a problem, I dealt with it then and there. I was not internalizing it. I was not keeping it in because I did that usually does more harm than good. Um, yeah, to be honest, this book helped me do a lot. It helped me turn turn around my uh, my perspective a little bit. If you mind, I, I, I'd like to share like a little thing right here. Yeah, go ahead. This was May or 5-24-21. Yeah, this was around the time I was still freshly going through the breakup. I was still off my medication. I'm still fighting with the doctors. I think I'm about to get almost about to get diagnosed. I'm going through the process of getting diagnosed with RA. So it was a lot. It was a tough time mentally. So I wrote, today I'm thankful for, I said, out of the funk slash not fatigued anymore. So that's one thing I was happy about. I said, I went to the gym, worked out, started week two. So I was working out again. Thankful for being able to sleep last night because usually, <laughs> you know how that goes uh, yeah. <laughs> with chronic illnesses. I was happy that my bone pain and joint pain was on the low. So, you know, experiencing a lot of arthritic issues. So I was happy that my pain was on the low. And <laughs> I am happy that I got my Demon Hunter in Diablo 3 to 70. So <laughs> when I wasn't doing anything, I was playing my video games, staying busy. But one thing I learned in my journey, especially one thing from my mentor that he taught us was, his name is David Chen, he taught us, Attitude of gratitude. That's pretty much keeping an attitude of gratitude. You know, when you go to sleep, when you wake up, looking at all the good things, even in the bad things, you know. So even though I was experiencing a lot of pain and this, this and that, I was still trying to see the good in there. But like, all right, yeah, I'm feeling pain. But guess what? Hey, we got a low today, baby. <laughs> we feeling good. <laughs> So I write that thing down in my book, you know, just to stay positive. It really is changing that script in your head. Like, take out the negative. You write it yourself. You know what I mean? As hard as that is, as somebody who used to be an overthinker, it is possible. It is possible. One thing, though, one thing, though, I do have to harp on is that you have to be sober. Mm -hmm. You have to be sober. One thing I tried to do in the past was I tried to use substances, you know, to deal with my mental health. You know, in the military, I would try and use drinking. Drinking alcohol is a depressant. Yep. I learned that very quickly. <laughs> this go around going through my IBD journey, I kind of went through the same thing. I tried to use cannabis as my, you know, escape, even though I was using it for its benefits I was just necessarily not trying to deal with everything else, you know? And I learned that being in your head too high or too long and, you know, being high, it can alter your judgment, your perspective, and being in a flare in a bad headspace. And you combine those two together is very, very dangerous. And I, I learned that the hard way. It ended up building a lot of resentment for the people I loved, I even built up resentment for my parents, and that's crazy. It really wasn't until I took a break 
it was around the time that I got sick when I when the medic when the medication stopped working. Um, I ended up stopping. I stopped smoking, and it was about two weeks, two three two weeks, two two of the worst weeks of my life. I had complete insomnia. I used to use cannabis for everything. I used to use it for sleep. I used to use it for pain. I used to use it to eat. And it was rough. So sleeping, I was barely getting any sleep. Even I would try other things. I tried melatonin, extra strength melatonin. I tried valerian root tea. I remember one night it was it was so draining mentally and physically. I was so tired. I wanted to sleep, but then Sonia had me up and I literally tried everything. I went upstairs. I made a tea with valerian root that's supposed to help you sleep. And I also added like the tea, the get, get well or well rest sleep tea. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I'll add that in there with the valerian root. I actually popped two extra strength melatonins as well. I drank the tea. It's wide awake. I felt like it did the opposite and I was tweaking. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. When you don't get sleep, you become a different person. I'm not going to lie. It went on like that for a minute. Depression kicked in hard. Depression kicked in hard. I think this was literally around the time where I went shooting with my friend almost around this time. So after I started to get a little bit of sleep and get better, that's when I went to go shooting. But it was really rough. It was really rough at the the first two weeks, um, especially the eating part too, because once you're so accustomed to doing something for so long, you know, like, oh, I need to smoke. I'm going to go eat. Getting off of that, you're just like, it's not the same anymore, you know? And also the cannabis would enhance, you know, the food in a sense. It would, it would taste better. So they didn't really make eating appealing as such, but me being disciplined, I was like, nah, I got to eat. Yeah. It is what it is. So I'd force myself to eat um, around this time. I did drop a little bit of weight because I wasn't eating as much. But after I say two weeks, that's when I started to uh, calm down a little bit. But by then, I still wasn't getting any sleep. I, I even got prescribed gabapentin from the doctors in that's not even like a sleep medication. That's like, I think that's something for your liver or something. I don't know. But they said if you take this this amount of dosaging, you know, the regular amount is three. But if you take one, it'll help you with this, this, and this. And I'm like, no, why don't you just give me something for sleep? <laughs> right. yeah. why, why am I going to take something that's not for what I need it for, but it helps with it? Like, it doesn't make sense. So I was like, I'm not going to put any extra things in my body, you know. I'm going to control everything I put in my body. I'm going to try and get good sleep. To be honest with you, man, I went back to smoking. But but those two weeks was enough to get me mental clarity and to get me off the, oh, I really need this. Because as I was going off, as I was going through that journey, it allowed me to see that I really didn't. It just showed that I was using it that I could do it without it, it wouldn't have been as efficient. Like, because with it, it does help me do more things, but it showed me that I don't need it. it I don't need to be dependent on it. 
And I'm glad that I went through that journey because it also showed me that I could do anything I want. Literally, as soon as I was just like, I'm going to stop doing this, no matter how hard it is, I'm going to keep with it. But ultimately, I made that decision just because I knew that in the end, it was going to benefit me more because allowing me to eat more, allowing me to actually get the initial rest of to get into the sleep mode, allow me to get more rest, allow me to eat more and essentially, you know, build my body back up to what I was back in the day. Yeah. And it's all about how you use it. And if it's going to be beneficial to improve the quality of your life, or is it just going to be a bandaid for all the symptoms and getting out of your pain in a sense, like an escape, like you said, it's, it's hard to make that decision, like to go on those two weeks, like you said, and just live in your pain in a sense. It's one of the hardest things to do, but gives us that awareness and opens up to what we can do, what we're capable of. We don't need these things. Like I can do this on my own without any supplements or anything. I can heal myself in a sense. That's why I love Dr. Joe Dispenza and all of his work. But yeah, going back to that positive mindset, that's something that you guys asked me on the podcast like a year ago. And I was saying how like everything's temporary and just having that mindset, also being gratitude, like you said, attitude of gratitude, um, just stacking those wins and seeing that there is good to be found everywhere you look. And it's just a matter of looking for it and not looking at the first thing, which is probably something bad, something that you're feeling. You have to like be intentional with what you're doing. Yeah, I think gratitude and just knowing that everything is temporary and just having that overall like glass is half full type of mindset. It sounds a little bit cheesy, but you know, when you actually live that way, you'll realize that it's not so cheesy and it's a better way to live, to be positive, to see opportunities where others see problems. You know, that's like my philosophy experiences plus mindset equals growth. You know, we learn from every experience or we can just brush it off and repeat our same mistakes. And until we have that mindset shift, we see things differently. We're not going to get that growth. We're not going to get that remission, you know, whatever it is you're looking for. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think those are two big components of like maintaining a positive mindset that's beneficial for everyone out there, no matter what they're going through, chronic illness, just everyday life battles, like having a positive mindset, being grateful for what you do have. So important, man. I'm glad you touched upon that. I agree. I agree. But you you also hit it too. You said experience plus mindset equals growth. Yep. <laughs> 100% because throughout my whole journey, I had the keys. I was literally doing everything, but I had to go through the experience first you know, the trial and error part to actually know what to do and actually get me to where I needed to be to have that mindset flip. Because if I would have got to where I wanted to be in the wrong mindset, I would have just fumbled the back. You know, I would have just ended up going backwards again. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, that's actually something that I try to tell people, um, you know, it's like you don't necessarily have to go through those big experiences, which are most often painful, like a traumatic life restart. 
mm-hmm. um, you can kind of like switch your mindset first. Like you don't technically have to go through that, but we, I've noticed that like, we don't typically change until we have to change. And that's something that I'm really trying to figure out how I can like pull that out and like change people's mindsets before they experience something because then they're going to experience something and be like, Oh, Hey Dan. (laughs) So what's like, if you could give advice to your newly diagnosed self, what would you say to him? (laughs) CJ stay strong, brother. You're going to go through a lot of stuff, (laughs) but it's okay. You know, we all go through things. It doesn't make you any different than anybody else. Also, resting is productive. Don't let anybody tell you that resting is not productive. You are allowed to say no. You learn how to say no in your journey early because it's going to save you from a lot of pain and possible, you know, flares in the future. Keep keep life stress-free. Watch your triggers and find your community because doing it alone is not it. Having a tribe is everything. Yeah. I wish I found my community and you guys a lot sooner, to be honest. That's one of the things that really got me to open up my story. Uh, Like you were saying before, like seeing you were like kind of a, just like in the audience when you were in that community, but just seeing those stories of other people transforming their lives seeing someone lift weights, eat meat, do those things that you thought you couldn't do anymore. And it's like, hey, it is possible. Someone, multiple people are doing it right here. And a lot of times when we're sick, we personally don't know anybody. So then it feels like we're isolated. We are self-isolating first off, Mm -hmm. just don't feel good. But then we just don't even know anybody that can relate to us on a personal level like that. And it's discouraging (laughs) to say the least. So yeah, I I love that you said that because that's, that's what I would say too, to my diagnosed self is for sure, find a support community, like just go on Facebook, find apps like IBD Healthline is actually a really good app that I use. And um, yeah, just helping people out on there if I can. But yeah, I love that you touched on that. The last thing I want to say is mental health. Mental okay. health has really been the the shifting point in my journey. Now, thinking about it, I really wasn't focused on it. Yeah, I would talk about, oh, this mental health. Like, I was, you know, just talking the talk, not walking the walk, right? It really wasn't until I started walking the walk with mental health that I really, you know, started to see that change in my chronic illness journey. Yeah, and I feel like when we're physically hurting that's all we can focus on is our physical health and getting that better. And then we kind of just let our mental health go in a sense, because that's not, that's not the main priority when we're physically in pain like that. So yeah, mental health is, that's actually, um, I've put that in my wellness program as one of my five pillars is mental health, because I've realized that it's not something that you just say is yeah mental health good we should all do that and be positive like Mm -hmm. it's a practice that you have to do it's almost like a skill that you have to develop every day you have to sharpen Mm -hmm. mental health you have to stack your gratitude like you said write things down 
do the work to improve that and your headspace. So then when you have a good headspace, everything else is going to be better. Your physical health, your relationships, your work, everything kind of stems from your mindset is what I like to say. Your mental health, your mindset, it's all the same thing. Yeah, I think that's a definitely a good plane to land on there is taking care of your mental health. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Well, yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, just open up, share your story, share some valuable insights that I know will help me and also people listening. However, we get this out here. It was really valuable conversation. So I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Dan. And it's been a while since we talked, but it's always a, it's always a pleasure. Yeah, man. It's like uh, we're just picking back up where we left off. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll have to, whenever you're in Michigan, around Michigan, Chicago, whatever, if I'm traveling, I'll let you know. Definitely have to meet up when we can. Oh, for sure, brother. For sure. CJ is a role model and beacon of hope for those battling a chronic illness and any adversity to show that you can get through it if you don't give up on yourself. You can follow him on Instagram and other socials at papuro, that's P-A-P-U-R-O, and I'll share some more links of his features so you can learn more about him and how to get in touch in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of EMG Transformations. You never know how one valuable insight can make such a big impact. Please leave a five-star review if this episode had a positive impact on you. And don't be shy to screenshot and share episodes on social that you found helpful so we can spread the message and make the world a better place. You never know who may need to hear and the impact it has on them too. We're only scratching the surface. There's so much more to learn. Subscribe and stick around to manage stress, improve your health, and create lasting lifestyle changes. Now don't wait. Go take inspired action and send us a message on social media at Nova Fusion Co. to let us know what you did and how it went. I'm excited to hear back from you. We'll see you next time on EMG Transformations.